Good morning. As usual, I am nervous. Um, and good morning, Danielle. I don't know if you notice every time I get up here, Danielle moves further back. She, she doesn't mind if I'm up here as long as I don't say anything. So, and I know Brandon kind of has a similar feelings, but if you ever listen to one of the messages he records where I'm up here, you'll find minutes that are cut out of the, the tapes and kind of take, those of you that remember Nixon, the Nixon tapes, he kind of does a similar type thing. But uh, anyways, <clears throat> I need to thank Eric. Eric uh, kind of helped me get through this. I knew he followed me, so I kept, I, I bothered him a few times yesterday texting and picked up the phone and called him and uh, he helped, he helped me a ton, so thanks. <laughs> um, <clears throat> just part of my nervousness. Well, Easter, uh, Resurrection Sunday, I should, you guys know I like astronomy, should say that Easter is the first Sunday following the first full moon that's after the vernal equinox. So we had the vernal equinox was March 20th, full moon happened to occur on that same day, and uh, so this, last night we had our first full moon after the vernal equinox, and then today's the first Sunday. It's almost the the latest Easter you can have is a few days later is about it. But, uh, but anyways, that's just a little <clears throat> background there. Okay, we're all kind of doing something different. I'm not really giving a message. I'm just going to talk about the week leading up to today, Easter, Resurrection Sunday. And uh, I don't know, the more I got into this, it just, I kept getting sidetracked. There's, there's so much uh, just in this week. And uh, I mean, you could spend... I mean, that's probably why we will be in heaven for an eternity. It's going to take that long to uh, learn all this stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. So I'm just going to run kind of through a timeline. I'll read some scriptures, but um, there's just so much out there. So last week, last week was Palm Sunday, our Passion Sunday. And we know that that's when Jesus had a, a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And that's, you know, so much of this is mentioned in all four Gospels. Uh, Jesus rode cold of a donkey into Jerusalem, and as he was riding in, the crowd would lay down their cloaks and, uh, and palm fronds, so Palm Sunday. So I'm going to read a little bit about that. So from Matthew 21, uh, starting verse 7, and they, and they brought the ass, even the colt, sorry for that word there, uh, <laughs> and they brought the ass, even the colt, and put their clothes on them, and he sat on them. And a very <clears throat> great crowd spread, spread their garments in the, way, or in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them in the way. And the crowds who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And that was actually a fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, if you go back to Zechariah 9.9, I just wanted to read that. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes to you. He is righteous and victorious, meek and riding on an ass, even on a colt, the son of an ass. Um, so he rides into Jerusalem. That night, he returns to Bethany. So that's kind of Palm Sunday. Then Monday, or Holy Monday, they left Bethany, Jesus and the disciples, going back to Jerusalem. And you might remember the story where Jesus curses a fig tree because it didn't have fruit and it, uh, I think for that particular fig, they think it probably should have at that time. It's then on that same Monday that Jesus goes into the temple 
and clears it like the money changers and stuff. Um, and that's mentioned, you know, Isaiah. If you go back to Isaiah and Jeremiah, uh, mentioned there prophesied. After all that happened on Monday, Jesus returned back to Bethany. That's where they were staying. Tuesday, or Holy Tuesday. It was amazing to me as I was sitting there looking at this timeline, what Jesus did on Tuesday. I don't know how anybody could, well, Jesus, uh, could do it. The amount of uh, teaching and just all that that he did on Tuesday. So they're returning back to Jerusalem, and the disciples note, uh, they see the withered fig tree, and, and you could talk for months just on that, the fig tree, what it could mean. Uh, throughout the day, there's just numerous parables, and you could go through and you could try to list them all, discourses, incidents, I mean, just all this happens on Tuesday. It was on Tuesday that he gave the Olivet Discourse on the Mount of Olives, uh, and then that night, they returned back to Bethany. Sometime Tuesday, Tuesday night into Wednesday morning, sometime in there, uh, the Sanhedrin were plotting to kill Jesus. And at the same time, Judas was working with them. You know, he was uh, working on betraying Jesus. So I'm not sh exactly sure when between Tuesday and Wednesday that occurred, because uh, this is a lot of it's happening at night. <clears throat> okay, also uh, on that Wednesday, oh wait, let's see. No, now we're to Wednesday. That's Tuesday. Wednesday. It's sometimes called Spy Wednesday. And, you know, you think of Judas. Uh, Spy Wednesday, Holy Wednesday. So, again, Judas, maybe midnight or after, he was conspiring with the Sanhedrin to portray Jesus. And, uh, you know, one of the things they ran across, you know, it was for how many pieces of silver did he portray? 30. And when you look at the value of that today it was like nothing I think I read one place it was maybe twenty dollars I mean it wasn't it's not like these huge chunks of silver uh, but anyways Wednesday there's there's some uncertainty on what Jesus was doing they may have been they might have spent the whole day in Bethany uh, probably I think Luke refers to Jesus um, continuing to teach on that Wednesday uh, they're preparing for the Passover uh, on Wednesday. Then we get to Thursday, Maundy Thursday, Holy Thursday. They continue the preparation for Passover. And then it's on that day that they uh, partake of the Passover meal, which are the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, and our communion is based on that. Um, it was on that Thursday that he does the Upper Room Discourse. You can read about that in John, John 13. It's later in that evening that Jesus uh, prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. <laughs> yes. Uh, and it's also that night that he was betrayed by Judas and arrested by the Sanhedrin. And they think that that was probably around midnight. So that would have been midnight Thursday night. Good Friday. Uh, Good Friday, it's, I mean, he's, Jesus is going through all these trials. Um, seems like about every one he was at, he was uh, beaten, uh, whipped, mocked, spit on. I mean, you name it, it happened to him uh, for us. So he goes through a series of trials. First one was kind of a preliminary, preliminary trial or interrogation before Annas. Uh, that would have taken someplace early morning Friday. 
Then he goes to trial before uh, Caiaphas. Then he goes to trial before the Sanhedrin, and I think that that's like the biggie. I mean, that was like the primary trial right there. Uh, then he goes before Pilate the first time. And so I want to read a little bit. This is going to be out of Luke. So this is Jesus before Pilate. And rising up, all the multitude of them led before him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this one perverting the nation and forbidding them to give tribute to Caesar, saying himself to be king, Christ. And Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, You say it. And Pilate said to the chief priest and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up people teaching throughout all Judea, uh, beginning from Galilee to, Galilee to this place. It was kind of interesting because throughout... Pilate, I mean, Pilate would have just let him go. Uh, okay, so then Pilate sends them on to Herod, and I didn't realize that Pilate and Herod didn't get along, so that's something else, you know, you could spend a little bit of time looking into until after this, then they actually did get along. Uh, Jesus before Herod, I want to read some verses there. So this again is out of Luke, Luke 23, starting verse 6. And hearing Galilee, Pilate asked if the man if the man is a Galilean. And knowing that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself was also at Jerusalem at the time. And seeing Jesus, Herod greatly rejoiced, for he had desired to see him for a long time, because he had heard many things about him. And he hoped to see some miracle done by him. And he questioned him in many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priest and scribe stood and vehemently accused him, and humiliating him with his guardsmen and mocking him by putting luxurious clothing around him. Herod sent him uh, again to Pilate. So really, what did Herod want? I mean, he see a miracle, because that's pr pretty cool. Uh, so at the same time, at the same day, Pilate and Herod became friends with one another, for before they were in enmity between themselves. And when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, Pilate said to them, You have brought this man to me as perverting the people. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no fault in this man regarding those things of which you accuse him. No, nor even Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death has been done by him. Therefore, I will chastise him and release him. For it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feast. So, I mean, that's all. Pilate just wanted to, you know, beat him a little more uh, and then let him go. So he's back before Pilate again, uh, continuing in Luke uh, 23:19. This is where Pilate delivers Jesus to be crucified. It says, and they all cried out at once, saying, "Away with this one, and release to us Barabbas, who was thrown into prison because of a certain uh, sedition made in the city and for murder." So they're going to let that guy go. Uh, and Pilate, willing to release Jesus, spoke again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify, crucify him. And he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no cause of death in him. Therefore I will chastise him and let him go. But they pressed on him with loud voices, requesting that he might be crucified. And their voices and those of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave judgment that their request should be granted. And he released to them the one who had been thrown into prison for sedition and murder, for whom they had asked. But he delivered up Jesus to their will. So throughout all this, Pilate just keeps saying he's innocent. Uh, Jesus' ad attitude through this, well, if you go back to Isaiah 53, and I'm just going to look at one verse, uh, this is prophesied. 
So this is Isaiah 53, 7. It says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. So Jesus was kind of quiet through all that. Uh, so Barabbas gets released, a murderer. And then after that, then Eric's going to talk about the crucifixion. Uh, I will say then on Saturday, uh, Jesus was in the tomb. Uh, Saturday night, his body would have been treated for burial with spices. And then Steve's going to talk about resurrection Sunday. So that's my portion. I'm going to be reading the account of the crucifixion from the Gospel of John. It'll be in John chapter 19, beginning halfway through verse 16. John 19, halfway through verse 16. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather, This man said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I'd like to focus on what John records in the gospel as what Jesus actually spoke um, from the cross after he was crucified. Uh, different gospel accounts uh, talk about different aspects of the crucifixion and what Jesus said on the way to Golgotha, where he was crucified, and things that he said while he was on the cross. But I'm going to focus on just a couple of small phrases that uh, John focuses on that Jesus shares and Jesus says while he's being crucified. In verse 26, Jesus says to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And in verse 27, he says to uh, John, his disciple, Behold your mother. Even under great pain and near death, 
Jesus upholds the commandment to honor your father and your mother. Although it is not explicitly stated, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was almost certainly widowed, likely in her late 40s, early 50s, with little or even no means to care for herself, especially in the culture of the time. Jesus entrusted her to the disciple he loved, John, who was the author of this gospel. Um, here Jesus is, hanging on the cross, would have been hanging there for a number of hours, um, having taken on you know, the weight of the sin of the world, very much near death, perhaps minutes away from his death, but he wants to make sure his mother is being cared for. And he asked John, who in the Gospel of John, John always refers to himself as this disciple whom Jesus loved. He never refers to himself by name. But he asks his disciple John to, to care for his mother um, so that he knows she will be cared for. In verse 28, Jesus says, I thirst. And in verse 30, Jesus says, it is finished. Jesus knows that all is now finished. He says, I thirst. Here he accepts the wine. If you study the scriptures, you'll notice that Jesus is actually offered wine mixed with myrrh um, when he gets to Golgotha before his crucifixion. Um, myrrh was a sedative, and it was uh, given sometimes to the criminals who were facing crucifixion as a way to you know, dull their senses, to dull their pain receptors, and to make the crucifixion more bearable. Uh, Jesus had refused the wine mixed with myrrh as the sedative, so just so you're not confused there. So this was, that was before he was crucified. At this point, um, Jesus knows he is, you know, going to be, he's going to be dying soon, and he accepts the wine here. He would have been hanging on the cross for a number of hours at this point, and he has a final proclamation to give, Keep in mind, he had been beaten, scourged, he was crucified. Uh, his throat would have been completely dry and parched. He would have no means to really speak loudly the way I'm able to share a message with you now. So he manages to get out the words, I thirst. And so the people manning the crucifixion, they bring him the wine on the sponge. And he accepts the wine to be able to just soothe his voice and his throat a little bit to be able to give his final proclamation. And Jesus himself gives his final proclamation as loudly as he possibly could. He states, it is finished. He then bows his head and gives up his spirit. His final statement proclaims that all the work the Father had sent him to accomplish was now completed, particularly his work of bearing the penalty for sins. The expression, gave up his spirit, emphasizes the voluntary nature of Jesus' self-sacrifice. Realizing he has completed his ordeal, Jesus voluntarily releases his spirit from his human body. And again, just for no confusion, he's releasing his spirit from his human body. It's not a reference to the Holy Spirit. You know, we maintain the Trinity here. He, Jesus is releasing his spirit from its human body. Um, it's not a reference to the Holy Spirit there. He releases his spirit from his human body to return to the presence of God the Father. Um, and he is with God the Father until God returns Jesus' spirit to his human body at the resurrection. And now the reason why we're all here. Not because I'm, no. Because without the resurrection, we would not be here right now. This building would not exist. Okay? Jesus lived, he died, and if that was it, we would not be here today. Gathered together to celebrate the resurrection. Okay? And that's an important fact. Because 
there have been other people throughout history that said lots of things in terms of, I will do this, and this will happen, and I'll prophesy this. And Jesus is really the only one that followed through with all of it, and it's truth. Uh, so that's awesome. I'm going to read from Matthew, Matthew 28. I would like you to read with me, so put eyes on that. 28, 1 through 10 in the book of Matthew. I'm not going to read the other four Gospels accounts of the resurrection, but I'm going to identify all the similarities between the four and then talk about why are we here. So Matthew 28, 1 through 10. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, uh, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. And as he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead and beyond, and behold, uh, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. It's the first day of the week. Uh, the women, two women in this case, are the first to see the empty tomb. There's an angel, and an amazing spectacle there, I'm sure. Uh, they were awed by it, by his, his presence. Uh, Jesus is not there. He's risen. They are instructed to go tell the disciples, and then Jesus appears. If you read the account of Mark, it's also the first day of the week. There's also women that are the first to be there to tomb. Actually, there's three in that account. There is an angel. The angel does say he has risen. He is not here. Go and tell the disciples, and then Jesus does appear to Mary. In Luke, it's also the first day of the week. There's women. There's angels. He's not there. He's risen. They're told to go tell the disciples. They do. Jesus appears. In John, it's the first day of the week. There's women. Actually, one in this case is Mary. There's angels. Jesus appears. It's a very consistent message. But each one gives a slightly just different like nuance that just is so actually beautiful when you look at it. And I want to focus on one of those in particular, and that's Peter. Uh, to answer the question, why are we here right now? Let's look at Peter. <laughs> because if you think you've done something terrible, or if you stand here right now thinking you're not deserving of God's grace, look at Peter. Okay? I, I encourage you, let's do that now. To understand grace and redemption. So, first of all, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record Jesus' foretelling of Peter's denial and they give an account of Peter's denial. All four of them do that. But there's only one, and it's in the book of John, that gives the last act of that story. And if we didn't have that last act, I, I just don't, we don't have that, that clear picture of Jesus totally redeeming Peter. Okay, so all four of them say, uh, Peter's going to, Jesus foretells, Peter's going to deny me. And Peter's like, no, I'd never do that. I would die before I deny you. And then all four accounts say, he denies him three times, all right? And if it just ended there, 
we wouldn't have this. So in Matthew 26, 30 through 35, Jesus foretells of Peter's denial. In Matthew 26, 69 through 75, Peter denies Jesus, and you see that in all four. Then in, in John, I'm going to turn to John. I want you to look at this with me too. John chapter 21. It's just so beautiful. Uh, John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you, do, you, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I mean, it just, he didn't, Peter denied him three times. In this, like, amazing comeback story, Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times. And Peter has to state to Jesus three times, I love you. You know that I love you. You know that I love you. And what does he tell him to do? He says, feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Okay? I think that's just so awesome. Peter walked with Jesus on a daily basis. He was there with him, and he denied him. And he was redeemed. So if you think you've done something against Jesus that is so terrible... I mean, did you walk stride for stride with him while he was on this planet? And then, uh, like, a couple days later, say you never knew the man? Or never knew him? I, I, don't, I haven't done that. I've had doubts. I've had things that have happened to me that have made, caused me to doubt. Oh, that's my bad knee, too. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, things like that. You know, you get hurt. This happens. Oh, why did this happen? It, but... I haven't done that. <laughs> Since I believed in Jesus, I've never denied him. I've never gotten to the point where I said, I deny you, Lord. Uh, I don't believe you're my Savior. I've never said that. And I never will. I, I pray. Because I, I know it's true. And Peter walked with him. <laughs> but he just didn't have that clear picture. Oh, it's awesome. He totally redeemed me. So why are we here? To understand grace, I think I think we need to understand grace and redemption. Just look at Peter. Um, we need to believe the word and to live it out. And then we need to go and make disciples. That's how the book of Matthew finishes, is the Great Commission, to go and to make disciples of the world. So I'll finish with that. Uh, Matthew 28, at the very end, the Great Commission. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He lived. He died. He was resurrected. He's here with us now to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, help us to receive that truth. 
to know it, to not doubt it, and when we have doubt, to bring us back, just like you did for Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And I, I pray that we respond with an affirmative, yes, I love you, Jesus. Uh, thank you for going to the cross, knowing you had to get to the cross, for doing what you said you would do, coming back, being resurrected, and showing us that you have conquered death, that death is no longer anything that we need to fear, because we know when we die, we get more of you. And it's far better than anything we can experience on this earth. The, the coolest gadget or the, the thing that we want more than anything is just dust on the scales compared to the glory of what we'll experience when we're with you in heaven. Praise God. What joy we have today. Um, and just thank you. Thank you for these people here who want to celebrate uh, celebrate that resurrection. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.